0: Just the idea of, like, these ancestors dancing on this land and bringing this Blackness into such a white space has been, like, I really feel like I'm, like, in my bag in the sense of my, like, doing something purposeful. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise Podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise.
1: Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. I should just come on the show and just scream one thing for like an hour. Follow your instincts. Follow your instincts. Your artistic voice is inside, locked up and screaming to get out. And if you let it out, if you get out of the way, good things will happen for you. Don't believe me. I'm just a little podcast host. know, <laughs> no little printmaker in Atlanta. But listen to our guest, Christine Mays. She's a sculptor out of San Francisco and uses wire to create wonderful ethereal forms. She's been breathing life in the wire for a long time, and she shares with the fam how she started using wire, how she constructs these forms, and we get in-depth about her latest body of work, Rich Soil, at the Hillwood Estate Museum in D.C. through January 9th, 2022. She listens to the noise, too. Maybe we helped her out. (laughs) You know, maybe she listened and then went out and made the noise like I always tell you to do. That's right. (laughs) Hey, that's right, Christine. But yo, for real, check out the website. StudioNoisePodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at StudioNoisePodcast. We'll be sharing some of Christine's work, some wonderful, wonderful pictures of her work that's installed at Hillwood right now. Join the Patreon, support the show. Keep us building this archive of the Black contemporary art world for just as little as $5 a month. I appreciate the support. We got some special episodes coming up live from the studio in Midtown. So please look forward to that. Sign up. Enjoy all the stuff that we're giving you. Just enjoy the episode in general, yo. But make sure you go tell two friends, just two friends in the D.C. area that's going to visit the D.C. area after you go to the National Mall. Do all that good stuff. But then go check out Rich Soil. And when you're taking in all those 29 amazing sculptures that's on view, you got to listen to this right here. (laughs) It's the noise, baby. We got Christine Mays right after the break. Just for you, more black art that you can possibly stand. <laughs> I hope you appreciate it. It's Christine Mays right now. It's the noise. This is Wesley Clark here with the family at Studio Noise. I'm a special alumni now. Studio Noise with a Z, baby. All right, it's your boy Jay Barber reporting live from Midtown Atlanta, reached all the way out to the West Coast to talk to this wonderful artist, creative individual, Miss Christine Mays. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. That's what's up, yo. You said you're a fan of the podcast, yo. Ain't that something, yo? I'm a fan of you. You're a fan of the show. So it worked out, yo. I appreciate you. Yes, I am
0: so excited to be here. I um, I've listened to the show. I I'm I would say like over the last two years or so.
1: Wow. All right. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all right, you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Now you're here, yo, Miss Christine Mays. Um, you say you're breathing life in the wire for over 20 years. So if you yeah. don't know her work, um, go look her up at christinemays.com uh it is some fantastic work and you know one thing i wanted to do with the podcast is make sure that we don't uh b- pigeonhole ourselves you know what i mean like when we talk about art i bring a lot of painters and, and artists and visual um if 2d people on the show even some mixed media people but i think it's time to you know we need to expand a little bit uh even how we talk about art and i think your wire sculptures were just the thing that I was thinking like yo this is unique this is this is something that is really really nice especially I checked out um some images and video of your new show rich soil and we'll talk about that later too but like tell a little bit about what you do wow
0: well thank you i'm i um i like the idea of what you just said about about reaching out and looking at art in different ways um what i do is i take hundreds of thousands of of pieces of, of steel wire um, and I loop them together with needle nose pliers and cut lots of tiny pieces and put them together into what becomes the human form and sometimes it's an actual physical person that I create and then other times it's a garment that reveals the body within and Um, So that's why I like to say breathing life into wire, because it's um, basically a body emerges within clothing Mm -hmm. and um, and you get in like sort of the feeling of um, a spirit within the clothing.
1: Just just for our purposes of just describing how you ended up in this place, Uh, because I know this is not in general where artists start. Right. A lot of artists start with either like drawing, sketching, painting, you know, all the normal quote-unquote normal stuff that we introduce people to art through like what were you doing before you picked up like the needle nose pliers and how did you kind of find this medium and come to it as your medium
0: um if we reach all the way back i've always been like i grew up as a kid that always created things and loved art and grew up in a low-income household so, there was not a lot to um to use with regard to to art supplies. I mean, we always had crayons and paper and you know and scissors and things like that. yeah, so I would always take just random items and try to create something out of it. and so usually, most of my work as a kid was unconventional items just because I would take anything and try to make something out of it and so, um. So then as I as I got older I continued to experiment I I don't have formal training um with regard to my art education uh but I've just always created things and experimented and so at the time that I started the sculpture um I was in this phase of working creating um beaded like beaded uh dangly earrings So (laughs) it's just so random to go from that to to the work I create now yeah I was making these beaded these beaded earrings and I kept going into different uh, bead stores and just searching for beads and I came across a display that had these spools of wire on it and they were making like they were you know basically advertising some sort of workshop where you made like a chandelier type candle holder Mm, right and so um i looked at the at the display and i bought the wire that they were promoting for this this workshop i never took the workshop but i bought the wire and tried to go home and make my own candle holder based on what i (laughs) thought
1: i don't need a stupid workshop I do my my own workshop yeah
0: let's stand here and look at it long enough i think i can figure (laughs) this out so I did that and I didn't, I mean, they were really sad looking candle holders. <laughs> <laughs> so but at the same time, I I really like the feel of manipulating this wire. So I had so much wire left over from this spool that I bought that I just started playing with it. And and then at the same time, there was like I was reading something where the I wish i knew i wish i kept the article it was some random article i was reading and the woman said something about um capturing the air uh it was something about like she threw a string into the air and she and she wrangled the air or some some really poetic
1: sentence yeah
0: and it stayed with me and i thought like wouldn't it be great to to sort of capture this like this l this like essence of something and so then at the same time i had been i had been collecting all of these magazine clippings and when i looked at all of them they were all pictures of people in some form of motion like either you know running or dancing or the wind blowing against them and so i i thought like it would be great to freeze frame a moment in time mm. and so that was the starting point of trying to to put this wire together. And I thought like, if I could just make it look as if, you know, some moment is, has been just captured, then that would be really cool. And so that's, that's where all of it began. And that's been like sort of the, the starting point of anything that I create.
1: And so on that journey, like from that point where you decide to do it and started to do it, how long do you think it, it took you before you were able to manipulate it the way you wanted to and like get like your first form that satisfied the concept?
0: Wow. Um I think it wasn't until maybe it had to have at least been like a good 3 years before I could really look at it and know that it was what I initially thought.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um I mean people were responding to the work immediately but when I look back at those pieces I kind of cringe <laughs> nice. I mean I'm kind of like okay
1: I think, really boxy but yeah. okay <laughs> but I think that's a that's an important thing um for people to hear especially like listening to it like this stuff is not it don't happen overnight but I think that kind of investment like put into it will get you to where you are now right?
0: Right. I mean now I can say now it's sort of like, you know, like when Malcolm Gladwell says, you know, you put in 10,000 hours right. before yep. you're your before you can consider yourself an expert in the sense of not having to uh physically think of like how am I going to do this, you know? Yeah. Now I I know the I know the shapes I'm making. I'm I'm familiar with it where it's like learning a language like I know it. Um so I just feel like I'm just, after all these years, I'm in the sweet spot where mm. I could just look at things and say like, okay, I want to try to do this and, you know, 10 times or nine out of 10 times I can do it.
1: Yeah. That's, that's and, a good, that's a good percentage. <laughs> nine out of 10 yeah. times. Yeah. That's good stuff, yo. So tell you, so. I would give
0: like seven out of 10, you know, but <laughs> I get, I, you know, I, if I get, Like, I'm not, I'm never trying to, um, to create, it's never like, here's a picture of a man walking. And then I make a pic, I make a man walking, you know, it's always, has some little flourish or it's just an inspiration, really, the photo, whatever I'm using.
1: Yeah. Like, it's more about the the movement than it is the, the person. No, I completely understand that. And so when you, when you make these sculptures, they have um, this really cool effect of being there, not there, you know what I'm saying? They have, they're real, um, i is not the right word, but. I use that a lot. Yeah. Okay. So that's okay. <laughs> we'll go with that word, but it, it is, it's kind of like very airy, very light kind of thing. And we, you know, as we talk about, and if people look up, um, several of the sculptures that you did, you did one here, uh, at the East Lake Marta station in Atlanta. Uh, the Song of Solomon, like these three forms suspended from the ceiling, like I think they're they're an example of what is gorgeous about your work, right? These kind of massive forms that feel light and, and capture this kind of movement and essence of a person. Essence, that's the word I'm looking for. That is more about the essence of the person than it is a, a representation of it. So it's, it's very conceptual when you look at it, but it still has form. Like, tell me about... Um, how you feel about it when you look at it?
0: Well, thank you for noticing that. I mean, it's it's particularly that installation was based on the idea of the the African folklore tale about the flying Africans,
1: mm, yeah, and, yeah,
0: and you know, about them flying out of their oppression. And what I loved about the idea of of like suspending it from the ceiling was that that, you know, I'm sure there's people that probably commute and walk through there every day and it took them probably six months before they noticed it <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, because you have to look up. Yeah. And you know, I, I think sometimes we're just so driven to do whatever or focused on whatever we're doing. We're not really paying attention to what's going on around us. Yeah. So in some ways that's amusing to me because they are very much present, but at the same time, they're like spirits and so um so it's sort of a like i i'm really playing with that idea of like past and present right now and like drawing the two together Mm -hmm. and so i think that has that essence of like it being a reminder of um the fact that we can continue to be resilient but at the same time well i mean that's just one statement we can be resilient we do have that ability uh, the other thing is is that so it's like this is our reality, but at the same time we're looking at the past as well, like with the way that installation has come together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful installation, yo. Well, thank you. Yeah, for sure. And so now you started off um what with, with the candles and now you're doing like these huge forms represented by Richard Beavers Gallery in Brooklyn, Zenith Gallery in DC. Like, so you, you've you built a career, like doing this in these very unique forms, but let's take it back to the beginning when you first started doing them and you said people were responding to them, but what was the response initially? Like when you, well, you know, I'm sure you were doing some kind of vending, we all do it, right? Or some kind of group show Then you show up with your, you know, wire sculpture, we're like what were, what were people saying and what was the reaction? Well, here in San
0: Francisco, we do a, a big program every year which is actually right around the corner every october we do uh san francisco open studios and it's this massive show it's a it's a citywide program where they divide the city into four parts and then um, all of the artists that have decided to participate you know they register and we put everyone's put into a a big like a magazine like catalog,
1: like a directory,
0: right. It's, okay. actually it is called a directory. But every year they produce this directory, and it's you can, you know the because it's divided into four parts, everyone registers according to like where their neighborhood is with regard to where their workspace is. Mm-hmm. and then um and then people can choose to visit. and it's always between eleven a m. and six p m on a Saturday and a Sunday like, for for uh, four weekends in October. So it's open to the public, so people can decide, you know, which studios they want to visit. Um, I see it as, like, sort of visual trick-or-treat <laughs> with people just showing up and, and <laughs> looking at whatever they want to <laughs> and So
1: That's hilarious.
0: <laughs> yeah, like you never know. Yeah. Because you really never know what you'll get when you show up. Like, you just don't know. They do a big group show, you know, it's in this, it's at uh, the Soma Soma Arts Cultural Center, which is South of Market Cultural Center here in San Francisco. And so people go to this group show and they get like a sampler of what they could see. So five or 600 artists do the salon style show. Oh, wow. And, you, wander around and, you know, and a lot of people take the directory and they wander through because they, they organize it by weekend yeah so when you're walking through you can you can look at the directory and then be like oh i like that piece i want to see more and then you can circle it in your book yeah so so long story long a lot of the work i mean it's changed through the years but at the time when i first participated in it there were just hundreds of drawings and paintings and so just this sea of drawings and paintings so I decided to to uh, bring this little sculpture because, you know, there's like a little I think it's like they give you some 14 by 14 little square or mm-hmm. whatever. it is. Yeah. So I made this little sculpture of a little man and I just I just hung it up in my little square on the wall. And so there it was. I mean, among the sea of paintings, my piece just stood out because it was not a painting or right, or a yeah. flat piece of work. Yeah. So that was sort of that drew people in because they were like, huh, this is different. And then they came to see what I had, which you know, I at the time I was still drawing. And so I had half of the work was drawings and then half of them were these experiments with the wire. And um but people seemed to respond more to the wire than they did the the drawings. So at that point, I just, I mean, I was having fun with it, so I, but I was encouraged to keep going with the wire because of just seeing how excited people were about yeah. looking at it.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's great, Joe. That's instant market research. <laughs> so it's pretty fantastic. You were able to to get uh, like a large, I guess, a large sample size of people to look at it and then judge it and see their response to it.
0: Right. I mean, and it's also, it's just, which I didn't, I didn't plan on even saying this or thinking it, but it just came up in, in our, in our conversation. But, um, it's also like a testament to just standing in, you know, your authenticity and Mm -hmm. just being yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I had no way of knowing that that would happen. I just was like, I think I even felt sort of weird, like, oh, everybody <laughs>
1: has a
0: painting. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was yeah. like somebody with their little meager thing. Like, let me put this on the wall. Here we go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I understand that, and I, I actually I see it um, also in a different way because uh, you know I'm a printmaker. so when I do my paintings, I feel a similar way about seeing other people paintings where I'm like, all right, I paint like a printmaker (laughs) trying to paint. And when I look at other people who paint like all the time, it's like, I see some stuff that they do that I don't do. And I'm wondering if I'm wrong, like so wrong that I should be doing what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah, And I think, I think, I think from what I'm understanding, that's the same feeling that you had. It's like, Oh, I'm going to just pull up with this wire <laughs> thing and uh this is my art like and, and it's not a drawing or a painting or like all this traditional stuff that you see in here like it's gonna be its own thing so you know but kudos to you for following that instinct you know what i'm saying that that artistic intuition took you in uh, a very different direction
0: right i mean it's a direction i never would have foreseen
1: did you imagine yourself as an artist growing up like was that was but, that your goal or or do you is it just something that you kinda started doing and never stopped?
0: It was it was more of a dream than a goal. And I say that in the sense that I always have felt like art is something that I have to do. Like like when I talk to friends on the phone, they're always like like if they were to say, like, did you make art today? That would be a weird question to me. <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not like you call your friends and say, did you brush your teeth today? <laughs> like, that's that's kind of how I equate it, like, to, you know, some function that has to happen every day. Yeah. So, I just, um, it was always a dream in the sense that, like, I would look at things and I'd think, like, oh, I wish I could do that, or, um, and by looking at things, I mean, like, as a kid, like, I grew up as a 70s kid, so... So, I mean, I would look at TV and all of the people who had jobs that seemed kind of creative, I was like, oh, I want, I want a job like that. Right. Yeah. Like, um, you know, we watched Bewitched and, uh, (laughs) and Darren, the husband, Darren had a job at an ad agency. And so they, you know, they didn't show him at work very often, but when they did show him, he had these, these boards under his arm, like storyboards. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, he's making pictures. Like He's, <laughs> he's drawing pictures for work. Like, I want to do that. And then, you know, and then there was uh, Valona on on Good Times. Yeah. And she worked at the boutique.
1: Yeah.
0: And they showed a few episodes where she was in the boutique dressing these mannequins. And I was like, oh, I want a job like that. So it was always like I knew I wanted to have some creative type of job. And, um, so I've always sort of moved in that direction, even though, so I, I've really spent, you know, a, a long time in my twenties feeling lost because everyone wanted to know, like, what are you going to do with your life? And they, they, you know, people would put, which we all do that, you know, especially like when you see adults talking to kids, graduating high school, like, what are you going to do with yeah, your
1: life? Yeah. What's next? Yeah.
0: And I was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just, I mean, everything went back to like, I wish I could just make art like that would, you know, and then people would say that wasn't a career. So there was all of this struggle, like internal struggle of like, what will I do? Because yeah. I can't figure out like beyond art. I can't figure out what I would do.
1: That's amazing, yo. But that's a—that's the a commonality that uh, a lot of artists have, right? That story of. Uh, what else would I do? <laughs> like, even if I had the chance to, like, there'd be nothing that could make me anywhere close to as happy as doing this thing right here, right now. You know what I mean? Right. Nah, that's wonderful, yo. And you grew up on, on the West coast, right?
0: Yes. I'm, I'm a San Franciscan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how, did, how did that influence your artwork? I mean, cause I'm, I'm here in the South. I grew up in North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia now. And, you know, I think it had a, a big bearing on how I make art. Like, What's the vibe out there and, and how did it affect you, if at all? Let's see the
0: vibe of San Francisco. It's so it's it's changed a lot. So I, so really, I'll preface this by saying this is like my experience, you know, over the years of growing up here. But San Francisco has always been like or it, and is known as like a a city of like misfits. <laughs> <laughs> and okay people who you know exhibit free will all the time and i mean it's not it's it's very much not that at the moment but that's that's the way it was as i grew up so as a kid in the 70s in san francisco i mean that was like the freest expression of you know i mean we had the we had the hippies here so <laughs> you so, I mean, in terms of freedom, there was freedom in the, in the way in which people carried themselves and their style and um, the way in which they decorated their homes and just a lot of creativity, really. I mean, visually, it was a, it was quite a lot to see. So um, so I think that's that's inspired me in the sense that I've always been a people watcher mm. And, and there's always something to see here and things that you just, you could just leave your house and not know what you'll run into in a day. Yeah, Like for instance, one day I went to this fabric store and, (laughs) and I mean, just going to this fabric store is a lot because it's like a warehouse. And most of the time I have to, I have to write on a little post-it, like what I'm going there to get. (laughs) <laughs> because it's a warehouse, and I forget what why I'm there. I'm just walking around, like, yeah. touching everything.
1: Yeah.
0: And just in visual overload. So I'm in this fabric store, and, and I'm standing there rubbing my hands against these sequins and, and, like, some, you know, sequined fabric or something. And I finally go up to the register, and I'm paying for my stuff. And all of a sudden, it's just this loud, like, this loud disco music. And you hear these people singing like really loud and everyone in the store is like, what in the world is going on? Cause it's almost like it's in the store and we all rush over to the windows and there's like this parade that happened. <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was like, it was like this impromptu parade. And, and there was like this lady, like, well, it wasn't a lady. There was like this drag queen dressed as a, uh, Celia Cruz on this <laughs> on this float. Now I don't know what this was for. There was nothing like going on. This was this impromptu parade. With so I mean, float. that's what I mean by like With a you float just and everything. Never know. It just was wild.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> but that's got to be fun, yo, and inspiring. You know what I'm saying for kids seeing all that stuff, all that visual information that you get to take in
0: yeah i mean it's um so i mean in that regard it's there's some freedom in the sense of like i guess i would say there's freedom in the sense of knowing that i could do whatever i could experiment and try out things without being pegged into like a certain hole or a certain box of like who i'm supposed to be and right all of that stuff and I mean, there's and and let's let's be clear, I'm a black woman in America, so <laughs> there there are some restrictions around that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at that, the that same goes without
1: saying on, on this. On, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so at the same time, there was there was this this uh, idea of like I can experiment and try things. And, and even in our home, like my mom would let me experiment with things there's a running joke in my family about gingerbread houses because every year I would try to make a gingerbread house and it would fail. <laughs> and it, I I never figured it out, never figured out how to make one, but my mom would let me experiment. And then, you know, it would, she just kind of like watch as the kitchen exploded. And then she would say, okay, are you done trying that? Okay, now clean that mess up. <laughs> and, and so, there was that freedom to just try something and not be afraid of failing.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic, yo. And that, that's that's just the kind of uh, upbringing that you need for an artistic child. You know what I mean? Like you right. try to get try to make them sit down and and be too much about the book. Like you, that's when you start to kill that creativity. And you and they end up as adults who you know hopefully collect art, but always want to do art <laughs> for the rest of their lives. They always like drawn to looking for that outlet that they lost at that time you know right so, so you know th- definitely big shout out to your parents for allowing you to do it like allowing you to embrace it and accepting it yeah my mom's
0: pretty cool <laughs> this is lauren jackson harris arts professional extraordinaire and you're listening to the
1: studio noise podcast gonna switch switch gears a little bit now i want to talk about two things one i want to definitely get into rich soil which is currently going on at the hillwood museum uh in dc right right yeah and so now you got that going on 29 sculptures on this 13 acre property um and it, it's just a beautiful installation from top to bottom just uh if you will be posting pictures on the studio noise social media at studio noise podcast on IG um but you know this is something you really got to see and there's a great video we'll put the link in the show notes to the video uh, that goes along with it but kind of give me the genesis of this project and from the beginning like who approached who how did they find your work and and how did you end up coming up with this body of work
0: okay um rich soil started out. As um, well, first of all, I was here in San Francisco and I got this email from um a place called Filoli Historic House, which is here in the Bay Area, um, a little further down the peninsula going towards like Palo Alto, and um Palo Alto is like the city where Stanford University is, just to give you know clarity to anyone that's not a Californian. But, um, I got this email and it was from this woman and she was like, she said, I found your work online and I'd love to talk to you about you possibly doing an exhibit here at our, in our gardens. And so, um, so we talked back and forth and she told me what she envisioned with regard to like you know me doing these outdoor sculptures and so and I've never done outdoor work like even though my work is metal and it can withstand the elements it's always been installed indoors so so she said to me she said why don't you come and visit the site and she said first come and do a tour and then you know our property is is uh, 14 acres of land so Uh, I think you should come and visit and then you can decide if this is something you want to take on.
1: Yeah, the Carolina boy in me, when I hear you say 14 acres, my mouth starts salivating. Like, I don't know, it's just (laughs) about that country, (laughs) that country man inside of me. He's talking about getting acres. I'm like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's some land right there. That's That's a lot of space. Yeah. You know, for me,
0: I had no concept of that because oh, yeah. here in Mexico, it's like, you know, we're all in shoeboxes that are pushed yeah. together.
1: Yeah, that's so, funny, huh?
0: yeah, I mean, I left the house like, OK, let's go and see. And so we went to this beautiful property. It's sort of tucked away. It's in like a very um, upscale white area, like, uh. There's this community um, called Atherton that's that's just like across probably like less than three minutes away from this place. And Atherton is like the home of all of the big CEOs. And um, it's just like a rich property that most people don't even get to visit because it's like all these gated communities. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so so we went to to visit uh um philoli and i had no idea it was there it's like a complete paradise that's just tucked away here in the bay area and um it had a mansion on the property and it's all these you know really beautiful sort of reminded me of like the secret garden like Mm, that storybook the secret garden yeah like all of these archway uh big doors where you can wander through the door and then you enter into another garden. So just really, really magical. So we're roaming around and we go into the mansion and the woman is giving us a tour of the mansion. And, uh, and we're, you know, we're looking at the kitchen area and some other areas. And then she goes, Oh, and here are the servants quarters. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so, I, you know, I felt some kind of way. Yeah. And I looked that just this, rolled off her tongue, huh? <laughs> yeah. And I looked in this really plain room with this like metal frame bed, and I was like, okay. So, we came out of there, and there was a census form that was blown up uh, on the wall, this historic census page. So, I'm looking at it, and she's like, you know, obviously the people giving tours have somewhat of a script of what they're explaining but she says like oh and this is a this is a record of the people we had working here on the property you know she was very proud of what she was showing us and so we're looking at it and everything is like all the people listed are like ireland london you know i mean everything is european yeah germany so we're looking at it and my friend says, uh, "As I'm there with my mom and one of my friends and she looks at the lady and she goes, what about the Mexicans? And she's like, what? And she goes, there's no Mexican people on here. And uh, we're geographically, we're right on the border of the, of where the agricultural belt is. Right. Yeah. So, So she's like, oh, we have people. She keeps reiterating what's on the page. And it becomes this whole tense conversation because (laughs) we've thrown (laughs) off this latest script. And we're asking her, like, what about Mexican people? What about, uh..." and I said, what about uh, First Nation people? And she didn't know what I meant by First Nation. And I said, you know, Native people, Native Americans, like, we're on a lonely land. Like, what about them? Like, and I said, and, and if you look at the time frame, like this was Mexico. Like, so, <laughs> so, you know, how is it that you have no, you know, people of color on this, on this page or even, you know, document it. So she doesn't really have anything like the woman really had no explanation for us. Uh, If anything, she just sort of, I could tell her the wheels were turning like, yeah, that is true. You know? (laughs) And so it became like this weird moment of tension. And I think at that point she thought I was just planning to leave and not accept the invitation to show there. And so, but for me, I just continued, you know, we went on, we went on with the tour and, Um, it was just very quiet. (laughs) 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 And so in my mind, I was quiet because I was thinking about what happened and like what I was looking at. And so in my mind, I'm looking at this, like really, um, opulent setting that's exclusive. And I was thinking like, we really need to recognize the people that made this place beautiful and like actually built this place and um so that's where the the genesis of rich soil became like came into being because i did say yes i would do that and i decided the show would be to recognize the ancestors that toiled the land and that created what you know what we walk on right now and so so in Here in California, like, a lot of my thoughts lean towards, um, you know, we didn't, uh, in terms of, like, enslaved people, there weren't weren't as many Black people on the West Coast at that point, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so it was, so the idea was more around, even though I felt like I was doing it for my ancestors, but it still felt more like a nod towards um towards hispanic people um and towards first nation people who were here um and then when we and then i got approached by hillwood and asked if i'd like to tour the the show to hillwood to washington dc and it became even more personal to me and I, I added some, like swapped out some pieces and added some additional pieces and um and it became more about the 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 black enslaved people who built that property and who built the land and who toiled on that on that earth and you know who are still here. And so they're sort of they're emerging now with my sculptures, they're emerging and and dancing out of the just the joy of being released from that,
1: no, that's fantastic, yo, so when you were coming up with these, um actually, I'm gonna ask you some technical questions first, so in okay. terms of material, I noticed that a lot of your other sculptures were either black and I did see some white ones, but these are more of a copper color. Is that a different material, or did it has does it have a patina on it?
0: You know, I'm glad you asked that it's um. The work is metal, so when, I, when I'm when i using just the raw materials, they're like, the, the material is like a black color, like blackish, dark gray color. Mm-hmm. And then I tend to paint the sculptures just to keep them, like I started painting them years ago just to keep them from rusting. And um, because they will patina and rust over time. And so I had to figure out, how i would manage to to have all of this work outside um and the the shows have been for six months each so um so it was like what am i gonna do even if i paint it it's going to to patina and rust over time so um so there was all of this thought about like how will it wear in the weather and um how will it look you know i I really had no idea as to like, Okay, if I put it up now, what will it look like in six months from now in terms of the wear on the on the actual materials? Yeah. So I decided to just push it all the way to the end, which would be like at its most extreme wear, it would turn it would completely rust and turn to like an orangey copper color. So I searched and found this rust resistant paint that's like in a copper penny color. And uh, I think it's called shiny penny, something like that. And so I painted everything the copper color. And then when it then as it rusts and it and it patinas, it turns to almost the same color. Hmm. So it's sort of seamless. Yeah. So really it just, if anything, it just becomes more matte as opposed to like being shiny when I first put it outside.
1: Right. I think, so, yeah, especially like when you look at the pictures um, and even you know, some fantastic pictures took of <laughs> these things too, you know, shout out to the photographers at Hillwood. <laughs> but uh, I don't know, it's these, these really lush environments, like the greens and the flowers and everything. And then you have this like brown specter of a dress dancing. You know what I'm saying? And uh, just hinting at a form that's moving through space, like some of the pictures have multiple um, sculptures in it. So it looks like it's in motion almost like uh, that. That's um, a, a great, perfect color for you to to use and really take advantage of that, the the elements of it, like the outside elements. And I'm sure that the weather in in San Francisco is a little different than in D.C., but um, so it'll be interesting to see. The wear patterns on it as it continues to get exposed.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's exciting to me, and it's also it depends on my mood. Sometimes I wake up and think about it and it's a little scary, like <laughs> ah, how's it gonna be? Yeah, and then other times I'm excited. Um, the The other thing is like in San Francisco, I mean we get fog, but it's not. I don't know how to describe it. We get fog. But our weather is more dry, so, mm. and, and we're definitely in a drought at the moment. So, in the time frame that my work was was here, that rich soil was up and on display here, we didn't get very much rain, and, um, we just had to deal with like fog every day. Right. And so, I get to <laughs> fast forward to DC. <laughs> I installed the show. Uh, in June and it was in the middle of like a hot D.C. summer with with like 98 percent
1: humidity <laughs> And, and yeah. so I
0: mean it was it was then, like walking yeah. into like a misty shower <laughs> then
1: like remnants and, of a hurricane come through like since the end too
0: yeah I mean we had hurricane warnings like during the the first week that I was there and it rained and so, I mean, the second day that the work was up, it completely rained on it. And so I was like, okay, let's see. You know, and and um, one lady was, she was, like, adjusting one of the pieces. And she's like, there's something that's, like, on the work. Like, I don't know if your paint's coming off. And I was like, no, it's not. The paint doesn't come off. Like. So I touched it and I'm like, "No, that's like powdery rust that's forming on the work already." And so, you know, it's just wild to see. I said that's just like a product of the weather.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I think you can that's also something you can use to your advantage. You know, as you start like adding these different like color patinas to it, I think it it'll, it'll take on a whole new movement with it. You know what I mean? Like if if that's That's something you want to explore, but I think that, I think it would be super interesting just to, to see what happens like over this, this next period of time.
0: That's a great idea.
1: So tell me this, how, how strong are these? I mean, they're sitting outside exposed. Um, how heavy are they?
0: They're actually not very heavy. They're, um, I think my heaviest piece is like
1: 30 or 40 pounds. Oh wow. That's that's super light. And compared to the, the size of it. <laughs> if it's only forty right. pounds, I think is that's super light, yo. So are they like are if, they pretty tough? Like if, if you know a branch fell down off a tree or something and, and hit it, would it damage it completely?
0: No, it wouldn't. <laughs> At least I mean, unless it's like a huge tree or something. Yeah. But I mean it's it's um it's more of like def, the work is definitely more about volume than about the weight right and um as i overlap these pieces of wire like the overlapping and connecting of the pieces is what makes it sturdy yeah and so um like if like if you were here in my studio handling the work it would be a thing of like you would have to like physically step or fall on it like I mean, I'm talking like fall hard on it in order to damage it. Right. So um, like, it's very much like a shell.
1: Oh, and that's so, fascinating.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's pretty wild because I play with the idea of it looking very um, delicate. And, and uh, one of my friends said it was buoyant. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're like, it looked very buoyant. Yeah. It's, I,
1: it's a couple of these that are. are um, forgive me, I don't know. Is it Conjuring Number Eleven, where it's like a, a dress and the arms are kind of thrown back at the top of it? Like, right? Well, it's something about the way the folds are in the dress. You you did you don't put it to, you, you I don't want to say this you make the folds into it like you don't make like a flat thing and then bend it into like this form you you shape it as you go along
0: right okay it's um it's a strange i'm going to try to explain my process but people usually just give me a blank stare when i explain
1: (laughs) it well artists y'all so so my blank stare is going to be uh me imagining myself physically trying to do it (laughs) But, but yeah let's hear it let's hear it yeah i tend
0: i tend to to um i collect photos of all different you know people in motion uh for this exhibit i was i was inspired by the alvin ailey dancers Mm. just because like when you look at photos that they take they're they're always in groupings
1: yeah yeah
0: I, i knew like for for so much property um like hillwood also has like you know they have like 16 acres or some you know ridiculous amount of land but um I knew that I wanted the the pieces to be in clusters so that it, they wouldn't just get lost in the in all of the beautiful gardens and landscaping and everything. So I was looking at the Alvin Ailey dancers because they pose together and they they interact together. Mm-hmm. And so all of the installations um, I had this whole thing where some friends were kind of rolling their eyes but I was like, it was like no filler. I want like each piece to be strong enough to be seen by itself but at the same time it could interact with the other pieces when i put it on display so what i do is i i collect photos of of uh images of people in some form of motion and then i sort of just you know keep going back to the photo and sort of uh reflecting upon it and i'm usually looking at like where the the shapes are like where the shadows fall mm-hmm. um, and the shadows become a shape in my mind. And so I make, so the easiest way to put it is I create sort of a puzzle in my mind of all these pieces and parts, because I've broken up what I'm looking at into parts. And then, uh, and then as I, once I start sculpting, I just, sculpt, I sculpt the parts individually. <laughs> and so so if you were to walk in on me, you'd be like, what is this weird amoeba shaped thing? And I'd be like, oh, that's, no, that's I, like. Yeah,
1: no, I get it. So you make it in, in sections and then you kind of put it together. <laughs> right. right. And at some point I'll see
0: enough of like the pieces where I'm like, okay, now I can sculpt this together. And I and then it, it yeah. just sort of, so it's really a an intuitive thing in the sense of like, I'm trusting that what I see is going to form into something and, the, and there's a long time that there's a there's a, a sense of um trusting in the sense that like it can be a long time before i even know if it works <laughs> like, <wherever laughs> I'm, like, visually i don't know what in the world this is like i know what i want it to become and then you know then it finally reveals itself and then that's that's
1: what I end up with. Nah, that's wonderful, yo. That's wonderful. It's always amazing artists, uh, their capacity to understand like spatial relationships and stuff like that. Because I, you know, for me as a printmaker, I I could do it uh, you know, carving, but I don't know if I could do it like in a three D space. I don't have enough practice uh with that kind of of process. Do you know what I'm saying? Like so like just even being able to just to understand a three-dimensional form enough to make sections of it individually. <laughs> I think that's amazing because I would have to like literally start at the top <laughs> and make the whole thing like as I go, <laughs> like I could, I don't, I don't know if I could imagine it and and understand. I, I think it, understanding is a better word to understand that, that kind of form that it makes because you are making like a shell. So it's, if it's, they're all like, Hollow in the inside, you're understanding the contour of the edge of a fold enough to like create it individually. That's amazing, you know.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, I have I have a serious appreciation for printmaking because I cannot um like I've wanted to do some some linoleum cuts and I've tried little miniature things. And it's been like a, tr- a trial and error kind of thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: because I'm, I'm trying to visualize how you come up with this play of like positive and negative space. And, you know, I'm always like, where do you cut? Like, how do you know, <laughs> how do you know where you're cutting? Like, like, cause if you do the reverse, you could mess up the whole thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's so, that's amazing. yo. Like, it, you like, know, funny, this this might be, admiration. yeah, and this is, this is not, uh, this was not my plan to come in and solicit you, but, <laughs> but seeing these as prints would be amazing. Like, I don't know if you ever tried to print your wires or, or something, but I, I, I think that might be something we'll have to talk about <laughs> off mic, but, um, I I just find it, it would make a beautiful print. The impression of just the way that the lines and all the individual wires are moving and creating this form, it would make an amazing print if you ever wanted to, like do it. Wow, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, it was. It would. We we'll talk about it later <laughs> 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 after this. Yeah, because that's that's a more complicated conversation. But I I get excited over printmaking, so don't don't bother me <laughs> anyway.
0: You know, I'm gonna say this, and this is. I mean since this conversation has gone all over the place but there's um you know I think that this is like the the beauty of talking to a to another artist is because you know we're both kind of vibing off of, of each other and and just the the process of creating and what you know naming what inspires us and you know I was looking at um I had the privilege of going to the to the African American Smithsonian.
1: Mm, I know I'm naming
0: it in the wrong way, but um I I mean I really barely touched upon all that's there because you know, you'd have to go there, you know, at least several times to see everything. And we were only there for like three hours, which felt like a drop in the bucket.
1: Yeah.
0: It it just felt like we blinked and it was like, Oh, time to go. but um one of the things that stayed with me was you know when you see the building from the outside there there's no way to convey just how beautiful that building oh, is yeah, like yeah like the architecture of the actual building and so i found myself standing in the lobby right before we left and i just stared at the wire work like the metal work yes yeah. there and the way it it makes me think of um like it gave me the impression of like the outline of like stained glass for mm-hmm. like a
1: mm-hmm.
0: for like a black church, you know, mm-hmm. like like when you see a a stained glass window in a black church, it looks a little different. Um in the sense of like the way in which if it's if it has like an Afrocentric flair to it, the way in which they've taken the shapes uh, in which they put the glass in. But the metalwork. Just really blew me away because it made me think like how eventually I would love to have to do some sort of um, public installation where it's like a building. Oh, that, that be, wire work, yeah, like, that
1: would be wonderful, yo.
0: It's just like the flat element of all the overlapping of wire,
1: yeah, that would be wonderful, yo. I remember, um, I haven't been to that museum, but when the last time I went to DC, it would. It was before. It was two months before it opened, and so all you could see on the outside was just that structure that you're talking about. They had installed it. it was, it's a fantastic, beautiful, beautiful building. You can jo- go just look at the outside, <laughs> and it's and it's pretty amazing. And I can I can definitely see uh, some of that inside of your work. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. It really was. Yeah, amazing stuff, yo. And so, do you do you have a favorite out of out of the twenty nine? Like, how'd you end up uh, on 29? Was that the request?
0: <laughs>
1: it's so funny.
0: Everybody's like, 29 sculptures. Now, the hilarious part is I, you know, when I took on the the first, when I took on the project, I thought, I just need a lot of sculptures. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, I literally spent a year and it was like, you know, I would say easily like, 16 hour days every day for like a year. Wow. So I really did nothing but work. And, um, I don't even know how I got through that year. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I literally did nothing. Like people didn't see me, which was sort of sad because that was, that was 2019. and (laughs) And I was like, uh, everybody's like, where are you? Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm working, I'm working. I, you know, I'm like, but when this is over, we're gonna go out, <laughs> and so I had all these plans, like, you know, and I even and I wore like kind of the same clothes, you know how we get into yeah. our work schedules. yeah. So I just was like, I'm so sick of these clothes, I could burn them, and so. <laughs> I Bought new clothes with this whole anticipation that 2020 was going to be the year of like <laughs> just relaxing and being with friends, and going places,
1: yeah, it's going to be my year, and, yo.
0: <laughs> and, you know, sure enough, all that shut down, <laughs> it was like, nope. So, I don't even remember what the question was.
1: No, that, like, it was like, well, how'd you get to 29? But it seemed like you just worked until. You ran out of time. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I, at one point, I when it first started, I was like, I'm going to do 50 pieces. And then when I broke it down on the calendar, it was like, you're not doing 50 pieces.
1: Wow.
0: And so then I thought, okay, I'll shoot for 30. And I ended up like, I was in the 11th hour finishing the last piece, and it was 29. Mm. And I was like, this is fine. Like, this is what will <laughs> be. And so that's how we got to 29.
1: <laughs> There you go. <laughs> I love, it. I love it, Joe. I love it. So after doing all that work, like um, as we start to wrap this up a little bit, um, what did what did you learn about the process and about how you were thinking in yourself as you just went through this this massive effort over this year long to make this incredible body of work?
0: I think um, you know, I do want to to make this point um, but I think that. In the bigger picture of things, like, I mean, I feel great about physically creating that much work. And the and I feel like it, it added to my experience as an artist and the idea of, like, having the stamina to create and knowing I could do that. But in the bigger picture, it really felt like pushing forward in the sense of, like, I was really wrapped up in, like, how will I honor the people that have come before me and the ancestors and um, this idea of like reclaiming spaces Mm -hmm. came about like uh, because I mean, Hillwood is, is very similar in the sense that it's, that it's a very, I don't even know what the phrase is, but it's, it's a very like elitist kind of atmosphere in the sense of like this, you know, grand mansion and, they have Fabergé eggs in the mansion and mm. the collection that's all, you know, European uh, imperialist sort of uh, structures. And so just the idea of like these ancestors dancing on this land and bringing this blackness into such a white space um, has been like, I really feel like I'm like in my bag in the sense of my like doing something purposeful mm-hmm. and and um, and like significant um, in the sense of not in the sense of impressing anybody but just in the sense of like being able to go to sleep at night knowing I've done something to to shift things in the world and then um, the other significant thing to note is that in Washington DC even though hillwood is there it's not near the the um the other museums like Mm -hmm. it's not it's not along with all the smithsonian museums it's it's actually in like a little nook of a neighborhood where you have to to sort of go away from from like the what is it the national mall yeah you have to kind of drive away from that to get to hillwood so even though hillwood is like less than uh five miles away from like Howard University, their, their uh, audience is not black. And, and so this exhibit has sort of opened the doors, and more diversity has come through the doors now that this exhibit is there. And so I didn't realize when I, when I decided to do the show that it would actually be something that would, that would sort of uh, initiate this kind of change but that feels really good.
1: Yeah, that that's amazing, you know. That's amazing. Especially um creating how do I want to say it? creating the opportunity for us to enter those spaces. Right? You know what I'm saying? Giving us a reason to diversify.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: this this uh this random little place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, And, they, you know, no, that's,
0: and they, it shifted a lot. I mean, like they did a land acknowledgment of like not only the native people uh, the the native peoples that that resided there yeah which they had never done before and they've been there like since the early 70s or something like that and um and they also like the part that really got to me I, i probably cried about it for like three days after i saw the statement but they also acknowledged the families that had enslaved people mm. on the properties, like the on that land before the the owner that had it now had it. But um, that was like it just blew me back because um, it really like I realized that it was really important for me to sort of um I mean, to just make some acknowledgement um of our presence here in this country. And, um, I think that, you know, even though black people influence so much, <laughs> I mean, we influence everything mm-hmm. with regard to to inventions and art and culture and music and everything else. But we're that I think that our um, efforts are sometimes really overlooked. And so, um, so, the show has initiated a lot of conversation around around looking at that and you know, my statements around the show have always been that people need to um, that it's a it's a reckoning work in the sense that everybody needs to examine their their uh, ancestors and that this isn't just about Black people. This is about like everyone examining, you know, where they came from and the right. choices that their ancestors made or didn't make and right. or you know whether or not they even had a choice. So. So yeah, it's it's quite a big uh, thing in my life at the moment.
1: <laughs> I would say so, yo. Fantastic, yo. And that's what happened when you uh, step into your own spirit. You know what I'm saying? Accept your own intuition and make work that's true to you. And you put that truth into the universe and that's what happened, yo. You make a difference. So uh, definitely for sure. Christine Mays, Rich Soil on display through January 9th, uh, 2022 at Hillwood Museum and Gardens. Uh, Make sure y'all go check it out. I'm going to make some time to go up there and check it out. Go see my mother-in-law and and go see uh, Ridge Soil and all the good stuff you got going on. Christine, tell them where they can find you.
0: You can find me on Instagram at Christine, which starts with a K, K K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-M-A-Y-S. I'm also on... You can find my website, which is www.christinemays.com and I'm also on Facebook if you and you can Google me as well if you want to see like any articles or past events that I've been a part of.
1: Oh yes, and they definitely need to do that. Christine Mays one to watch. Thank you so much for coming on the show and she's a fan of the show, so we always got love for her. Now she's part of the fam. Much love to you. I'm though.
0: excited to be part of the family.
1: <laughs> thank you. Yes. that's it another episode of studio noise in the bag big shout out to christine mays for taking the time to come on the show talk about her work great conversation i love it yo i love interacting with these people yo it's amazing keeps me charged up when i'm in the studio hope it keeps you charged up too to all my artists out there make sure you put in the work make sure you listen to that little voice on the inside telling you to do something a little different That little bit of different can be you reaping big rewards down the line. Put in the time, put in the work, make that noise and come back next week. Mahalo at you. Peace.
0: Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.